Psalms 119. We hope you all had a good Mother's Day weekend or afternoon Sunday last week. So, man, did you take your mothers out? Your wife's out at least? (laughs) Okay, let's go ahead and read. Psalms 119. Let's go to verse 17. 119, 17. It says, Deal bountifully with your slave that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a sojourner in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me. For I observe your testimonies, even though princes sit and talk against me, your slave muses on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Let's pray before we begin here. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We we thank you for um, just uh, allowing the church, Lord, to come together again, your body, Lord. And uh, it's not about Carlsbad Bible Church, Lord. It's about you and um, the full big picture, Lord, of the church. And we just thank you, Lord, for guiding us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, um, teaching and training and helping us, Lord, as we mature and grow in you. Lord, I pray today that our worship and our teachings are glorifying to you and that we lift you up, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 John. We had our introduction last week and went through verses 1 through 3. And we're going to be closing out the, the letter of 2 John this morning. So we'll be going all the way through, and I want to read it once more since it is such a short letter. So we'll be going all the way back to verse 1 and reading through the end. Second John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another." And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So we have 
read the word of the Lord and let's turn to the Lord of the word as we lift this time of teaching up to him. God, I just pray for your strength and your courage is to proclaim your word and to proclaim it rightly. God, I don't pretend to have any special knowledge. The only knowledge we need is the knowledge that you've provided us in your word. So help us, Lord, as we seek to understand. God, just grow us more in your word and in the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's got that one down. (laughs) So we want to remind you, as we try to often, and that is to be Bereans. And if you turn to the book of Acts chapter 17 with me, I often reference this, but I don't always take you to this portion of the word. But just to look at what is written for us by Luke and how we should look to ground everything that we hear in God's truth. And as Second John seems to have at the center is both truth and love, I think it's very important that we are always looking into the truth to see whether the things that man would tell us, even someone standing up here in church from behind this pulpit, even something that I would say or anyone teaching from this pulpit, or any other pulpit for that matter, um, that the things that they are saying are grounded in the truth. Now Paul and Silas were in Berea, and this is found in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. In verse 11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These were those in Berea who were taught by Paul and Silas in the synagogue, and even with Paul and Silas, they went to the scriptures to make sure that the things that they were hearing from them, the things that man was teaching them, were actually proven in the scriptures. And we encourage you to always do that here. Some of the things that we looked at last week, just a quick overview, we talked about how the truth promotes love. And that love and truth are inseparable. They are married together. When we are speaking of a God-type love, that's that agape love that loves in spite of the circumstance, that is an overcoming kind of love, that this kind of love is connected to the truth. And you cannot separate the two. If you do try to separate them, then the love that you're probably hearing or even the one that is being expressed to you is not a love that is in truth. Love and truth are married together. This is a truth that endures, is what John tells us. He says, will be with us forever. Truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. God is eternal, and that means his truth is eternal as well. This is a truth that never fades. This is not a truth of this world that once another truth is discovered and it then replaces it, this truth will never be replaced. That's why we can be fully assured that it will never change, just like God will never change And we can put our trust and our hope in it. Part of our outline was looking at these three loves that are expressed. One was John's love for the believers. That was found in the first verse. He says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So John is expressing his love to this elect lady and her children in this letter. But he's not only expressing his love, he's sharing with them the love that he hears from others the love of the people in the church towards them, all believers' love for one another. And then we also looked at God's love for us when he writes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. That was found in verse 3. And how is God's love expressed to us? 
But we find it in these three things, this grace that he has for his children, what he has extended to us. It was an undeserved love that he gave us. And we also received his mercy, that he didn't give us what we did deserve, and that was his wrath. And he has made peace with us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for our sin, to take our sin debt to the cross. And thereby, we are given peace with God through Jesus Christ, his son. And in him, we have a life that is filled with peace, a peace that overcomes, a peace that is also everlasting because it is from God, from God and Jesus Christ, his son. Now, this morning, we're going to close this out. And so we're going to be taking a larger chunk of this outline because we're not going back over the introduction today. But the second part is this, is how love promotes the truth. How love promotes the truth. And then the second main theme that we see in here is love and truth promote fellowship and joy. And that's found towards the end. So love promotes truth. We're going to look at that and how love and truth promote fellowship and joy. And one of the ways that love promotes the truth is that it rejoices in obedience to God's truth. Look at what John writes in verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So John is telling them that I'm rejoicing in watching you and in hearing about you also walking in obedience to the truth. You know, for a believer to observe other believers within the church body and how they interact with the community around us, it should be encouraging to us. It should motivate us to live our lives in obedience. So the motivator is the obedience to God and His truth, serving also as the motivator for us as we observe each other, interacting with one another in the body of Christ, and also as we see us engaging this lost world, that this should be what motivates us, and we rejoice in that. We worship God as we see others uh, living out their Christian walk in obedience to him. And that is because we are commanded by the Father to walk in obedience. We love him. And as that love is manifested in us, it should be seen in obedience to his commandments. We desire to please God in our walk, walking in the truth. Psalm 119, 165 Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So love rejoices in obedience to God's truth. And then something else that we see here as love promotes the truth is love is realized in obedience to God's word, his word of truth. Look at verse 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. I think we sometimes take this view that the Old Testament is all about God's judgment, it's all about his wrath, and we have to wait until we get to the New Testament to learn about his love and learn about his redemption. But that's not the case. You know, the, I've heard it said that the Old Testament hurts us so the New Testament can heal us, and that may be true in a sense, but I don't know about you, especially as we walk through First John together, the New Testament hurts too, <laughs> 
You know, it must. We must be convicted of our sin. You know, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it penetrates and it, it divides both soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We must be cut by God's word, word in order for him to heal us. We must be convicted of our sin in order for us to go to him in confession and repentance. So for wherever you are in God's word, Old Testament or New Testament alike, it, it is doing this to us. And the Old Testament is still filled with God's love for his people. We should never forsake reading the Old Testament. We can still learn of God and learn of what he desires of us. And we can learn of his love and we can see his unfolding redemptive plan revealed throughout the entire Old Testament. John says, not as though I was writing you a new commandment. He's saying, this is not a new commandment that we love one another. He says, but the one we've had from the beginning. And he's linking this all back to Old Testament scriptures. I mean, this is what every Jew knew and was just ingrained in them from a young age. So this is not a new love that we're teaching you. It's one that you've always had. And sometimes we fail to see that God doesn't change. He's immutable, right? That's one of his attributes. His holiness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his holy wrath, his holy love have not changed, nor will they And he carries these same attributes with him into the New Testament, only now we have the law fulfilled in Christ, fulfilling God's redemptive plan for mankind. But yet that love has never changed in God. It's the same love that we would have, should have for others. It has been there from the beginning. We have heard it from the beginning is what John is saying. And the beginning of our love starts with a love of God. We cannot love others if we are not loving God. And one of the ways that we see someone loving God is that they are walking in obedience to him. We are told in scripture to love the Lord our God. And this is what we have heard from the beginning. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Beginning with the first verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll look at the first couple of verses first, and then we'll jump ahead just a little bit. Verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I just jump down to verse 5 now, where we hear of our, well, we can include verse 4, it's a real short one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And now in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6, we see where we are commanded to love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this is something that was written of old. It is what we have heard from the beginning. It was what was declared by God at the beginning, part of his law, and we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. And then we go ahead to the New Testament. And we see this continuous woven thread throughout. The obedience and love of God is continued in what Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. So Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31.
Jesus referencing back to what he had said long ago in Deuteronomy, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God. Just like in Deuteronomy, he said it there. And then he adds on, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that we also find in the Old Testament. If you look at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 through 18, loving your neighbor is not something new. Loving God is not something new. It has always been there. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so if we are finding it difficult to love others, as we are commanded to do, and this isn't just a type of love that the world teaches us today, this is an agape love. Remember, it's a scriptural, God-like love that loves despite what someone may do to us, how they may treat us, it loves anyway. It's a love that chooses to overcome a circumstance. So if we find it difficult to love others in this way, then we should look back and check ourselves. How are we loving God? Are we really obeying the first commandment, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? Love is realized in obedience to God's word of truth. Coming back to Second John now, verse 6. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What does it mean to walk in his commandments? So we've heard the commandments, we know what the commandment tells us, so what are we doing when we're walking in his commandments? Well, I think that it means that we're continually growing in God's truth, that we should be seeing ourselves growing in the word of God, and not just hearing it, but also doing it, walking according to his commandments. Ray had read for us from Psalm 119, if you want to go back there, I'm just going to look at verses 1 through 3. That entire passage of Psalm, that entire chapter, I should say, the longest one in the Old Testament, is just full of David gushing over the Word of God, the truth of God, how we need to cling to it, how we need to embed it in our hearts, how we need to live by it and walk in it. Psalm 119, 1 through 3, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, also who do not do no wrong, but walk in his ways. This is a spiritual walk. This is our Christian conduct as we live out our life in Christ in this world. How people observe us, they should be able to see that we are walking in his commandments, that we are obeying them. And yes, it is spiritual, but what we should see manifested outwardly, you can see that in how we're loving others and how we're loving God. We should not think that his commandments are heavy or burdensome. We see that they are the best thing for us. They are guides that God has gifted to us to help us navigate our lives in this world in obedience to him. We're able to walk because his commandments aren't burdensome. You know, he gives us things to enjoy. And if anything is burdensome, if anything weighs us down and will not really allow us to walk, it is sin. The weight of sin is heavy. 
And if you are a believer here today and you remember back to your life before Christ, you may recall really the emotional, the spiritual heaviness that you felt when you were burdened by your sin, when you knew that there was nothing you could do to rid yourself of that guilt, to rid yourself of that sin. And when you came to an end of yourself and realized that Christ took it all on your behalf, and just looking into and crying out for his loving mercy, and when you were saved, and almost like a physical burden had been lifted on, off of you, that, that freedom in Christ that we experience only in him, when he saves us, and he renews us, and he restores us to a peace relationship with God, we are then able to walk in obedience to his commandments. And since love is realized in obedience to God's word of truth, we look to his word to tell us how we should walk. So walking in his truth requires knowledge of his word. A, a Christian who becomes a Christian should look to this to nourish them. And if you aren't looking to God's word to nourish you, you are going to be a really weak Christian. You are going to be stumbling around in your Christian walk. You are going to be falling back into temptation and to sin. If you look at Galatians 5 with me, chapter, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Now Paul writes something about how we should walk. That there are virtually two ways that we could do it. We can walk in accordance with the flesh into our sin nature and according to our sin nature, or we can walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, I'm just going to read two verses there. Verses 16 and 18, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There Paul writes about these two forces that are contrary to one another. There's no blending in between of the two. They, you're either walking by the Spirit or you're living according to the flesh. Our gratifying the flesh is things of ourself. It's a selfishness. It's something that is built upon pride. And pride manifests all these various kinds of sin. And Paul goes on to list some of those things that will be manifest in a life that is living after the flesh. A life that is not loving others with a God kind of love. In verse 19 through 21, just a list. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list. We can sin in many different ways, but here he provides many of those for us. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sex, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So all these works of the flesh serve to do is to burden us and to tie you down and to overcome you by it, the temptation to evil. And then the very opposite of showing love, or this very opposite of showing love is demonstrated in these various ways of sinning. They're all in disobedience to God. There are many ways that our flesh can act out in sin and that damages and hurts and works to destroy relationships. In, in the middle of those lists of sin that Paul writes, we see what are called the social sins, where um, 
It's how we get along with each other. The ones like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all of those things can be seen in how we relate to one another. And all of those things are opposed to God. That does not give evidence of God in us. Now we can look then at the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're walking in the Spirit as opposed to living by the flesh, then we should expect to see love realized in us in obedience to God's truth. Look at verses 22 through 25 of chapter 5 of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul doesn't talk about walking, but he is talking about keeping in step with the the Spirit here. So to think about walking in obedience as John is describing to us, that's the same thing as keeping in step with the Spirit. We are looking and trusting in the Holy Spirit as the one who enables us to live out these characteristics in our life. And it is only by Him that we are able to do this. God cannot resist Himself, right? He cannot contradict Himself. He is the Spirit in us. And so these things that he would produce in us are not going to change. You will notice that when it describes the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is singular. But if you look at the work of the flesh, it's works of the flesh. That's plural. So it seems to indicate that the fruit of the Spirit, the first one, is love, that all these others are only had by love. The first thing is love. If you're not loving right, you're not going to do these other things correctly. If we are walking in the Spirit, then obedience to God is going to be motivated by a love for Him and then a God-like love for others. Love of God, love of others, all rooted in love and a love that is united in truth. Coming back to those being inseparable. So we've seen that love rejoices in obedience to God's truth and that love is realized in obedience to God's word of truth, walking in the truth, walking in obedience to God. And this last one is love does not receive or support those who contradict the truth about Christ. Another way of maybe rewording that phrase is love does not align with lies. It does not affirm sin, but upholds the truth about Christ. Look at verse 7 of 2 John. Let's come back there. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. I think we heard that in the children's message. As we see these budding theologians over here, I was just amazed by some of the things that they were saying. It's pretty incredible to see, you know, God growing them and nourishing them in his truth. But uh, just having that word there, deceiver, what's another name for Satan? Well, he's a deceiver. And that is very true of our enemy. This love that we're talking about that is in union with truth Um, It is watchful love. John talks about keeping watch, looking out for the deceivers. John, as an apostle of Jesus Christ and also describing himself as the elder 
like the, the elder of the church in Ephesus and many that he had been part of and started, he sees himself as a watchman who is looking out for the deceiver and the ways that the deceiver will try to infiltrate the church with lies. It is very much something that is continuing in the world today. That's why we want to structure the church in such a way uh, similar to the Old Testament or the New Testament church and um, how, how it was started is that we, we have a, a body of elders, but just, it's not just the responsibility of the elders to keep watch over the flock, but it is the responsibility of all of us to keep watch over ourselves is what John would say. John is warning us not to be caught up in the deception because the deceiver is going out and the deceiver is continuing to go out today and they will claim that Christ did not come in the flesh. This is one of the tests that John is giving them to put in front of these deceivers. Do they believe that Christ came in the flesh? Talked a lot about this also in our study of 1 John. Because if they don't believe that Christ Jesus came in the flesh, that he was fully God, but he was also fully the man, then you can't say that he was tempted in all things as we are, just like Ch- Stephen taught the children. And if he wasn't tempted in all things as we are, then did he really have the right to die for those sins if he wasn't tempted by them? So to take the physical body aspect out of the deity of Christ and his coming in the flesh is to really preach a false Jesus. It's to teach a false Jesus. John will tell us that such a one is the anti-Christ, opposed to Christ. And not only will they be opposed to Christ, but also will offer a substitute Christ. We have a substitute Christ that is being taught in this world today and not just out in the, uh, in society in general, but we find that there is a false Christ that even taught in churches. That's why we are to watch ourselves. John says, watch yourselves. That they, you remember he's writing to the elect lady and her children. Now, some say that is actually a lady and her children, and some say, well, he's referring to the church and the congregation. Um, and you could take it both ways, but it is still to the church today, but the, he's saying not to allow any deception to infiltrate your church. Not to allow it in. It's a warning. Paul similarly warned the elders of Ephesus. He would go into a little bit more detail than John here is in this letter. So turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. Acts 20. Paul has gathered the elders of Ephesus on the coast of Miletus, and this is Paul just telling them some things that he wants them to know before he leaves them for what he thinks is to be the last time. He's going on to Jerusalem. Um, he's going to be imprisoned there, and he's giving them these, these words to hold on to and warning them about the deception that could potentially infiltrate the church. In fact, Paul knows that it's coming. We should know that it's coming because the deceiver has gone out. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Another word for that is, is elders. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know 
that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So we're warned by John to watch ourselves not just those from the outside that could infiltrate with deception and lies, but even those who may come out from the body that are deceivers themselves within the church congregation that could be promoting lies and falsehoods, peddling a false God or a false Christ. There were some who were walking into this lie. John says they were going on ahead, you know, like this deer in the headlights. You know, I don't know the, the little... Uh, image of, of Toy Story, the first movie where the little aliens are inside the machine and they're looking at this light and it's the claw and they think they're going somewhere really nice and that's kind of what I, I envision here is like, okay, this is being presented to us. It sounds really good. Oh, let's gravitate towards us because you can make a lie sound really good. And that's again why we want you to go to God's word, be Bereans. They claim may have been that they were doing this in love, these deceivers that were going out. I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I, I love you. I want you to know this. I want you to know this special truth. I've got a special revelation to share with you. And immediately red flags and bells and alarms should be going off in our head, especially when they tell you something that is not found in God's word. Special revelation that, that only I have. If I or anyone says that to you from here, then yeah, put your hands in your ears and, and uh, we won't invite you back. <laughs> Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So in the middle of this stern warning, John inserts this wonderful reminder to those who are abiding in the truth that they have both the Father and the Son. They possess, we possess the Father and the Son because Jesus accomplished the promise that he made in John chapter 14 where he says, I must go so that he can give us the gift of the Holy Spirit who will be with us and who will be in us. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, we have both the Father and we have the Son. So those that are abiding in the Father and in the Son have the realization of the abiding in the truth. And it's very clear, and John has never been ambiguous about it. All right, if, if he has, I've missed something, but I've seen very clear black and white uh, throughout his first letter in this one too. You're either abiding in God and you are his child, or you are a liar and the truth is not in you. 1 John 2, verses 4 through 6, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And finally, we have this heading or this theme here that love does not receive or support those who contradict the truth about Christ. Love does not receive or support those who contradict the truth about Christ. So dangerous was this heresy 
that was finding its way into the church that John warns to not even receive them into their own homes. And that may be hard for us to hear because we want to be nice to everybody. We want to show hospitality. John says, don't even give them a greeting. One nicety towards them could be an invitation to hear them out. That's how people will be sometimes. If you're willing to turn a listening ear to them, it's just like they've been turned on and they just start sharing with you everything that uh, they want to share with you. And these deceivers are out there. They will, they will definitely take advantage if, if you give them an ear. Do not receive them into your house or give them anything, any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And the enemy, the ultimate antichrist, is at work in the deceivers, which you could call these mini antichrists, those that are really serving Satan, are out there. And we are, to, we are called to pay attention because they will say things against the true teachings of Scripture, not promoting love, maybe saying that they are promoting love, but it's really not love, but it's lies. These people are champions of their heresy. So let's not be asleep at the will. I remember the the parable of of the ten virgins. The waiting on the bridegroom, five of them, are very attentive, they're keeping a watchful eye, they're keeping their wicks trimmed, they're keeping their lamp, their oil full, and then you have the five that are just kind of distracted and they're off doing their own thing, they're not paying attention, and what happens? The bridegroom comes, and they miss the bridegroom because their lamps weren't lit. That's a warning to the church also. We need to keep our lamps full, we need to keep the wicks trimmed. Jesus says to them, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And it is unknown whether this lady that John is writing to has allowed someone to come into her home already and begin to propagate lies there, or maybe John is just being preemptive here. We're not really told what has happened. He may know her as one who is always showing hospitality, and maybe he just sees because she is a person who's always opening up her home, because there were a lot of traveling uh, preachers, if you will, traveling evangelists that were teaching the truth. And as a Christian, you were pretty much obligated to show them love and to receive them into your home, to give them a warm meal and to feed them. Um, it's just likely that her home was one of those locations where Christians could go when they were traveling and where they would receive a warm welcome and a place to stay along the way. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We are to show hospitality. But John's warning is that not everyone who says that they are of the truth is really of the truth. Giving them a meal and maybe a place to stay is helping them along the way in their spread of lies. And that is how we take part in the wicked works that he is describing. Or maybe it just gives the impression that we are affirming their position when we receive them in. Love and truth promote fellowship and joy. Verse 12. Though I I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of of your elect sister greet you. So true fellowship here desires more than just written communication. John wants to do more than just write the elect lady and her children, and express his love in that way. But John makes it a point to mention that his desire is to see them face to face. 
And face-to-face means more. God intended for Christian fellowship, for Christian community, and it is not to be forsaken. When we have the ability to have communion and to join in fellowship with other believers in time of worship and the study of God's Word, then we should be there if we can because God has blessed us with that an opportunity to worship together, that we are bound together in love and truth, and we should want to be with each other. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's something that should motivate us by being with other believers. Uh, I do get excited when I'm with others, and the others who share in the same truth that I do, in the true gospel of Jesus Christ and in his word. And there is something when we center ourselves around that in our conversations, it, is, it just brings so much joy. It ignites a fire within me when I'm with others and we can just share in, in the knowledge of, of God through his word and we just grow in that. And I don't ever want to forsake that. When Jody and I were living in Germany and we had a difficult time finding a church congregation to have fellowship with. We, uh, predominantly, it was Catholic, and so we found very few Protestant churches. And then also because of the language barrier, it was just very, very difficult for us to find a fellowship. And when we came back to the United States, we said that you know we are not going to forsake the fellowship because we had this period of drought in our life of three years where we sought to find that fellowship, and we just weren't finding it. And once we had it, we just did not ever want to forsake that or leave that. We, the value of that was so great to us, and we missed it so dearly when we were apart from the fellowship. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that your joy, our joy may be complete. As true fellowship produces a fullness of joy, John says, so that our joy may be complete. It's not a joy that is just partial or halfway there. Uh, We have a joy that we could find in this world that's really described as happiness, where it's momentary satisfaction and maybe a thing that we purchase or maybe just the presence of someone with us may fill us with a little bit of happiness. But when that goes away, this temporal joy, this happiness, so-called joy, goes away. This is a joy that John says is complete. It's a, a joy that is full. In John fifteen eleven, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christ in us is this joy, a joy that can be had no matter the circumstance we are going through because it is found in Christ. It is activated and upheld by the Holy Spirit in us. It is fixed on our hope of eternity with Him. It is a hope that is anchored in the one who never wavers on His word is truth and thus it is an assured hope it's and what a fullness of joy this should bring a completed joy that is in christ last verse the children of your elect sister greet you so the elect lady to whom john is writing has an elect sister and she has children so this elect lady which is who john is writing to has children but also nieces and nephews and perhaps It could be seen as a letter from John to a church, and his church is greeting them. So the church and its children are greeting their their church and their children. It could be seen that way again. I tend more to hold more 
to Second John being directed to a specific lady, but being that elect sister, being the one who is chosen, purchased by Christ's redemptive work on the cross. He chose us. It's to all who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, is what John says in his gospel. Nothing that we did, chosen by God according to the richness of his grace. Titus 3, 4 through 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not according to works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I had talked about the root system of a plant last week and how we are abiding in him and we look to him as that source of that sustaining life. Uh, another plant ref- analogy here is how when you transplant a plant, uh, a plant that's been in a pot and maybe that soil is dried up and all the nutrients are gone and it's taken and you put it in another one that's rich and it's moisturized and that plant thrives, that was what God has done for us in regenerating us in Christ, the renewal and the regeneration by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly, that he has, as it says in his word, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to just kind of switch gears here, but this whole theme of Second John has been about his love, God's love and our love for others and all being connected to his truth. But last week I was at a safety briefing, or there was a little safety briefing that was given before one of the the meetings that we had, and the manager got up and he wanted to remind us that in the case of emergency or in a building evacuation, where the rally point would be for everyone in the building. Where to exit through, and, and here's where you go, and this is where you're accounted for, and this is where you can feel safe because you're far enough from the building, and then we'll come by, and then we'll let you back in later on. So that was this the point of his safety briefing. And as I was going through this message, I was thinking about our rally point. You know, where do we rally to? And the church's rally point is the truth. We rally to the truth of God found in his word and manifested in Jesus Christ and living within us by his Holy Spirit. If we are genuinely saved, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit should orient us to his truth, give us a desire to know more of him and what he has given us through his word. We know where we need to go. We know where our rally point is because there we are accounted for. We're held accountable by his word but it's also a place that we go where we feel safe and where we feel loved and we feel protected. That is his truth. And the building is on fire. Where do you run? This world is on fire. Where do we run? Where do we turn to? As in the spiritual battle that is being waged, Christians need to rally to their king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who is Jesus Christ, who is truth. If you feel that you are lost in this world, Maybe you feel like you are gradually gravitating towards worldly things and worldly pleasures. Rally to him in his truth. He is Savior and Lord and the only one who can protect us in a world that is, 
I shouldn't say steadily anymore, that is rapidly (laughs) decaying and changing around us. One of my favorite hymns is On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, and so I just chose a verse from that song to end us today. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us, the truth that we have, we can center our lives around. Thank you for the joy of fellowship and being together with other believers today to study this. Help us to always be watchful, watchful even of the things that I'm saying here, Lord. So I pray that if there is anything that I did say that may have caused someone to gravitate towards something in error, that you just help us align our thoughts and our hearts and our lives with your word. It is our truth that we need to anchor ourselves to. It's a firm foundation underneath us. It will never fail because it is your word. It is everlasting. It is unchanging. It is enduring. And God, we just thank you for the gift of your word, your truth. Father, I pray that if there is someone here that maybe does not know you, maybe they've wandered towards things that are lies, they've been deceived. Help them to come back, Lord, and to realize that you have so much more for them, that your law is not burdensome, that obedience to you is safe, and it's a blessing. And help us to show our love for you and our love for others and how we live out this life and how we walk in truth. God, we ask this and pray it of you in Jesus' name. Amen.